Hi, I'm Pamelia Chia, founder of Singapore Noodles, writer of Wet Market to Table, and your host for the Singapore Noodles podcast, where I will be bringing you honest and insightful dialogue with people who care deeply about Singaporean food. If you'd like more content, go to sgpnoodles.com for recipes, video tutorials, and more. And be sure to check out our planner for the new year. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Jeffrey Tan is the founder of Dish the Fish, which encompasses the market stall in a cooking studio at Jalan Riang, formerly located at West Coast Plaza. Working with his wife Angeline Ong, Jeffrey takes a high-tech approach and weaves social media marketing into this traditional business. He sees technology as an enabler, which allows for the preservation of this dying trade. Welcome Jeffrey, thanks for joining me today. Hello. So maybe we can start with how your love of fish started. I actually grew up to have a very good appreciation of uh, what is called a quality fish. I mean, I came from a Teochew family and then we are so particular about fish, especially fish. Since young, I'm already being trained before the fish come out, we can tell whether it's good or not just by the scent. Growing up in the fish family, eating a lot of different fish also gives me a very good perspective and expectation of the quality of fish. And more importantly, is the value behind eating seafood. We Chinese, we value a lot sharing and sitting around and chatting. Steamed fish la, on the whole that is being placed in the middle of a dining table is a dish that actually bond everyone together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so every meal we eat fish, all types of different fish. Yeah, so, so that's how I grew up uh, knowing fish. And then I grew up hating to interact with fish because over the weekend when all the kids are playing, I'm at, at the market helping my brother and I keep pondering to myself like why am I doing that since I'm like maybe eight years old onwards yeah every weekend I was not volunteering myself I was actually forced by my brother to actually help out then all the way until I was like, in poly and make some excuse that I'm busy with work uh school work and all this and I skip it then until I uh, go to uni then I grow to turn the head to actually be curious about fish again and it helped me to rekindle that childhood feeling yeah and also helped me to stop this trade from dying because that's what I see like the whole trade is like dying because it's not uh, keeping up with the needs of people yeah that's why from love to hate and back to love again and more love now so can you tell me some of the skills that you picked up while learning from your brother when I worked with him since young, I learned how to not be timid. I learned how to uh, express the knowledge and also be able to understand what are they actually looking for. La. So for example, if they say, hey, what is this fish? How can I actually prepare for the children? And basically what they are asking is, oh, can this fish be prepared in a safe way? Can you take out the pin bone? Yeah, this takes actually years for us to learn. Because of helping my brother, all the needs of the consumers are deeply entrenched into my, my heart. La, because they will ask all these questions that they repeat over like 10,000, 20,000 times over each new year. Yeah, all this kind of, how, what is this fish? How to cook it? How to prepare it? What sauce can I use? Of course, uh, apart from that, I learned chopping skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned how to use the chopper since I was 10. Wow. That's a secret. La. You There's nothing... That can replace hard work. So yeah, cutting yourself numerous times. Yeah, now I learned to wear the cutting glove. But in the past, they throw you a chopper and then yeah, just go. <laughs> if you go to Australia, they have 10 types of knife. But if you go to a 
Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, all they have is just a fishmonger cleaver. Yeah. <laughs> and they fillet, they cut, they chop, they do every single thing with that cleaver, which is like much heavier than a lot of the trained fishmonger or chef in other parts of the world. Uh. And why is that? Why, why is the chopper used so much? I mean, is there any benefit to using a chopper over, say, a Japanese deba knife? A deba knife, you can't really chop up fish head. Uh. I mean, uh, you can, but then of course, uh, you actually uh, cause the knife to be blunt yeah. and, and stuff. I think one of the key thing why uh, in Asia we are using the chopper and uh, cleaver is the time taken to clean a fish. So let's say, for example, if I were to take out the stomach, the intestine, take out the gills, and also uh, fillet the fish, uh, imagine you have to use uh, one chef knife, one pincer, and you have to use a filleting knife. So that's three things involved. The time taken for a normal 500 gram fish might, might be at least uh, three to four minutes per fish. Mm. But then you use a cleaver. For us, maybe less than one and a half minutes. Wow. We can finish everything. In the wet market, it's very intense. That one, two hours, you have to clean like 100, 200 fishes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now that we're on this topic of the differences between um, the way Westerners and Asians approach fish, right? Do you feel like there are key differences in our eating habits because now that I'm in Melbourne I realized that there are not many whole fish options it's always in fillet form <laughs> maybe I ask you back the same question yeah uh, what do you like uh, about eating in Singapore and then what do you like about buying fish in Australia so the thing is I used to work at a European restaurant when I was in Melbourne city and yeah. we used to sell the yes. whole flounder. People would ask for it to be removed from the bone. It's just not in their culture to eat things with bones. I think as a Singaporean person, I felt very homesick in that way because I wasn't able to eat whole fish. Um, I grew up eating my Cantonese mom's food. So she cooked yes, the yes. steamed fish on the bone. So I yeah. really miss that because I feel that when you eat fish on the bone, right? You get all the little like nuggets that you normally don't get with fish fillet. Like for example, yeah. my favorite part of the fish is like uh, sometimes the lips. I love the lips of the fish. Sometimes I like that part behind the behind the head, yeah. right behind the head. Yeah. But when you have yeah. the fillet, it's like it's really hard to tell like which part is which, you know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Understand. Yeah, you know you know like I actually have a suggestion like for this, right? Imagine if you were to plate it out of the, the fish bone, if you keep the flounder bone by the side, and then you just put like, you know, like when you serve beef, right, you put a tag and then you say it's medium rare and all this, right? So yeah. you can just put a tag and say that like, this part tastes soft, why not give it a try? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's not in their culture, but, but it's a way how like uh, businesses trying to morph back uh, to, to try to uh, a little bit la, to try to retain this kind of uh, interesting thing that's what uh, Josh Milan in, in uh, Sydney is trying to do I mean his little effort to even uh, go and um, uh, cook uh, all these levers and stuff everyone is throwing it away but he's like fermenting it cooking mm. in different style yeah I mean this, these are things that is interesting <laughs> But is it true that in even in the wet market, all these offal within the fish is being thrown away? Most of them will, but then I'll do keep it. <laughs> yeah, like for example, for the, the stingray liver, right? Everybody just throw it away. 
But you know that that is similar to monkfish liver. Mm. The, uh, the very fresh one. Yeah, they have a, yeah. A, a word for it, right? The Japanese, they call it uh, ankimo or something? Uh, yeah, some, something like that. But yeah. the monkfish liver in uh, Japan per kg is like 150 to 200. Yeah. And then uh, they will like, like blowtorch it. Yeah, mm. some of them eat it raw, la, but you need better treatment. La. Like in Singapore, better donut. <laughs> yeah, I remember like um, when I was working at a cafe here, we used to break down an entire fish, like a uh, salmon, and then it'll come yeah. with holes and stuff, and we'll charcoal grill it and we'll eat it for like stuffed meal and stuff. So it was sure, quite, sure, sure. quite interesting because I've never had fish offal before. The only fish yes. offal that I see at the wet market is probably like fish roll. That's about it. Yeah, but then um, if you go to a good uh, fish soup store, right, they actually will cook all this. And then they cook it for the regulars. Uh. Really? Yeah, so uh, they don't tell you because <laughs> you are not the regular. <laughs> you have to actually, like, for example, for Spanish mackerel, like batang, right? Yeah. They, you usually eat the roe, right? Yeah. But do you know that the, the stomach and the liver are actually really very nice? But you need to learn how to clean it uh, to take away the, the smell. Okay. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it tastes a bit like. Uh, kidney and also liver for, for eating like those pig organ soup and all this. It's actually exactly the same. Oh, that's so, <laughs> um, so yeah. if we go to the wet market in Singapore, are we able to, to request for these um, organs? Uh, yeah, but uh, the fishmonger has to identify for you. Lah. So <laughs> most of them are actually uh, just treating it as uh, waste, as intestine and stuff. So they just chuck it aside. Yeah, but then uh, they need to differentiate lah, because some of them are really the waste, so they need to chuck it aside. And some of them, like the liver, the kidney, and all these different parts are actually able to be cooked. Lah. And certain things are not worth the effort. Like if you talk about fish more, you usually take barramundi, means uh, sea bass, or you take from uh, like trap fin or other type uh, bronze cooker and those fish with a thicker uh, like lining. Yeah, mm. fish more is basically their bladder, the fish bladder that helps them to float up and down. Yeah. yeah, so for golden snapper, it's not worth it. Once you pull it, it will break. Yeah, because it's too thin. Yeah, so certain things, of course, you can request. Uh, yeah, then uh, most of the time, they will pass it back to you. Yeah, but you need that relationship yeah. with them first, right? With that. You can just tell them clean and give me back everything. La. <laughs> so they'll be more than happy to do that. <laughs> okay, okay, next time I'll do that. So what are the best fishes to get the offal from? You said Nonghu, right? Threadfin? Uh, Nonghu, usually, nowadays, for the 4, 5 kg and above, they remove it. La. They oh. dry it because of the medicinal uh, like benefits. That's why they sell it to the medical hall. They sell it to like top restaurants. that. Chinese restaurant actually in particular. Mm. Yeah, because uh, a lot of the uh, more westernized restaurant they use it to make fish and chip, la, which is wasteful, la, like fish cracker. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the Heston Blumenthal take a fish maw and fry it because they don't know how to handle it. <laughs> but you make your own fish maw and, and you sell it at your, your stall, right? Yeah, so fish maw, we can do it in two ways. One is actually you dry it first. And then the dry one, you can cook soup with it, but it needs a longer time. And then um, like over Chinese New Year, sometimes when they request, we can deep fry it. La, so you get another flavor that you can use for steamboat, 
you get that jelly jelly collagen-y. Yeah, yeah. So those are after fry. La. I love that, man. I love that in the soup. It just makes the soup taste very rich. In in Singapore, we are limited to just this few. But then, like, because we import a lot of fish from Indonesia, so, like, we have uh, those kind of uh, pipe fish, uh, conger eel. Yeah. The fish more is, like, easily uh, table-sized, uh, yeah. food court table-sized. <laughs> yeah, those are... Yeah, it's very long, but it's very thin. But, wow, the smell is... The fresh one is very fragrant. Mm. Yeah, so okay. I, I, I mean that's different degree. La. For for me, I don't smell the fish to smell the fishiness. La. I smell it to get that oceany smell mm. to, to have a sense of whether it's, it's like very good to be consumed or, or not. La. Mm. Yeah, so what are some tricks that we can use at the wet market to identify really good fish? Just smell it. La. At our store, right, usually I won't really just uh, use a statement of saying like you look at the eyes, look at how round is it, uh, look at the gills and all this because um, there's many, many factors that affect uh, all different types of fish. And then sometimes like you look at trap fin, the eyes is blurry. Does it mean it's not fresh? Uh, that's not true. Then you look at like the potato fish, a yellow tail that people make fish for, the eyes is always red. Because <laughs> it, it wears a like a red uh eyeliner or something, yeah. Then is it true that it's not fresh? Also not true, yeah. And then when you look at the gill, sometimes it turns a bit darker, but then uh it doesn't mean that it's not fresh because they didn't uh actually uh it, it wasn't kept in in the optimum uh like ice freezing uh, temperature, but then it's still fresh to be steamed, yeah. So. To me, it's always, if you have one second, just put your nose to it. La. <laughs> like with the fishmongers thing, it's really weird or offensive if like, say a customer goes, goes up to the fish and smells it. Uh, I'll be more offended, offended if, you, if you poke the, or press the salmon. La. I'd rather you put your nose to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember last time you told me that like one way to know whether the fish is fresh is by touching it. Like if it's firm, it's fresh. If the fishmonger is nice enough, of course you can feel it. La. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> touching will degrade the fish, right? That's why they don't really encourage you to do that. Pressing and poking will degrade. La. If you just feel it, it won't really degrade. La. So you don't put any pressure to it. So if you hold a fish up, always try to touch the tummy, the stomach. Mm. Like at least it's firm. Yeah, that's a key indication. La. Yeah, and whether after touching the fish, is your hand slimy? If you touch it and your hand is like quite slimy, yeah, that's also a good indication that it's fresh as well. Because the slime is what a lot of the fresh fish actually protect themselves. Certain fish have less slime, but in general, when you touch the fish, you shouldn't feel just water. La. You should like at least rub your, your hand and feel that there's something, la, some liquid. La. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. I always felt that slime was was unfresh because you know, for meat, yeah, when you touch poultry or meat that is slimy, it means that it's been sitting around for a while. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's the other way. <laughs> okay, okay. So can you tell me what are some of like your favorite regional fishes? I definitely like Chinese pomfret because I grew up. Uh, eating the big one over steamboat uh, during Chinese New Year. So we will usually get the 2kg 
and above Chinese Montfort, which is very, very rare. Yeah, then we'll fillet out, we'll cut into fish slices. Those are the best for for eating steamboat. La. I heard that there's also black pomfret. The black pomfret also have a wide range. We have the, I call it the business range that is good for deep fry, grilling, baking method. And then there's another type of black pomfret. The scales are smaller. Uh, the color is a bit darker. When you, you steam that black pomfret, it actually tastes as good as a Chinese pomfret also. In a different way, because it's firmer also, the black pomfret. Chinese pomfret alone, we have like five to six types of Chinese pomfret in terms of the degree of uh, quality. The quality is determined by the water they live in, the food they, they consume, and also the cold chain that uh, handle it before they actually arrive to Singapore. So this tree is the main factor. So same type of pomfret, same type of black pomfret, Chinese pomfret, they are all different. You know, in my opinion, right, I, I always thought that golden pomfret is like the most premium. Is that true? Because of the color, right? Because no, of the because color, right? Color, but because, like when you go to say restaurants like Beauty in the Pot, they always serve like premium golden pomfret. So I always yeah. thought that it was like better quality or is it because the name is very auspicious? I think it's a consumer perception as well. So when you hear the golden, you will feel like, wow, it must be good, right? <laughs> actually, pomfret on the whole is an oily fish, do you know? I didn't know. Yeah, it's, it's actually a fatty uh, Asian fish. So when people always ask about what are the oily fish for Asian category, usually we'll say pomfret and even some of the mackerels also. After you steam it, do you realize that the soup is a bit like with a bit of oil? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that is the pomfret oil actually. Mm. Yeah. You know, I have two favorite local fishes. Okay, maybe not local, regional fishes that I can't find in the wet market. So the, the first yeah. one is um, Sun Hock. Yes, yes, yes. Wow, I love that. That is so good, but I can't find it um, only in restaurants. And the second one is this fish called Uncle Lapan Fish. I think yeah. they call it Pasu Kong Yu. I always go to soup restaurant to eat it because under the skin, there's like a gelatinous layer, right? Yeah, some of all this sophisticated fish, it's not because the local market doesn't have it, it's because it's not so sellable. La. Like you eat it at soup restaurant, you recognize the fish, then that's okay, you're looking for it, but how many people are looking for it? If you sell it at the market, the, the key challenge is how do you cook it? Because, I mean, soup restaurant, they know how to handle it, and then uh, if, let's say, you bring it home, <laughs> you have to figure it out how to do it. La. So, I mean, for you, I'm... Very confident you can handle it, but <laughs> but uh, a lot of the uh, household they might have challenge trying to uh, take away the the smell and certain fish have very unique uh, taste also. Yeah, you need to add ingredients to complement it or liften up the the whole taste, lah. Hmm. Which is why I really appreciate what you're doing because you're selling a lot of fish that is quite uncommon in Singapore. Like I remember the last time I went to your stall, you had. Bombay duck. That was the first time I ever tried Bombay duck. You introduced me to yeah. it. So like uh, when we import from uh, like Indonesia, especially from uh, Balai. La. Balai is a small town away from uh, Harbourfront. Like you can take a boat ride, two and a half hour you reach there. The way they eat seafood is another level. La. So like the Bombay duck, right, they cook in their red asam. It doesn't taste like asam. It tastes more like, more like a soup dish actually. But then with that spiciness and it looks red, la, like a tulang kind of 
mm. uh, dish. But wow, it's really very different. The Indians, they like to deep fry it. Yeah, then you talk about like locals or even China, they like to cook in soup to get that milkiness, the yeah. sweetness and cook a bihun out of it. Do you know that in Chaoshan, right, they actually use that fish to make olua? Wow, this is the first time I heard, heard of it, and even though I'm a Teochew. <laughs> yeah, because it's so soft, so it yeah. kind of um, has that kind of oyster texture. Can you also tell me about the different kinds of prawns at the wet market? Because I think that's something that not many people know about. But there are quite a few, right? There's like Bolicia and then you have like Anka and all that. Mm, I think most of them in the market, the common one uh, are the Vename, which is the Bolicia and also the uh, tiger prawn. The farm one, uh, uh, blue-legged uh, Anka also, uh, red-legged prawn. Yeah, or we call it CY. If you want to grill it, uh, a lot of people always use uh, tiger prawn because of the firm and crunchy texture. And if you want to do steamboat, people always use Anka, CY. And if you want a more economical uh, prawn, then most people will use the poly cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it really depends on how you uh, use it. We really find that our passion is uh, to educate uh, and to build that confidence in uh, knowing about fish, knowing how to handle and knowing how to even explain to all your loved ones when you're eating with them. We're also trying to allow customers to book a fish sampling session so that it'll be more catered and we can answer them better. And will you guys be be focusing on regional fishes as well? I mean like, you know, when you go to a fish shop, I think yeah. everyone is very familiar with things like cod, like salmon, like tuna. You know, those are like the yeah. fan favorites, right? But what about the lesser known fish? Will you guys be highlighting those as well? Yes, yes, yes. Of course, it will not just encompass the things that we, we carry on the day-to-day basis, but like we do carry like grunt fish or even all these eels and you can even taste the fish paste or the fish broth during the mm-hmm. session uh, that we make also. Regional things will include uh, maybe red emperor snapper and golden snapper, maybe pan fry it, then we tell the difference and then the steam part, you also can tell the difference. I, I feel that that's an amazing idea because uh, when people are not very familiar with the fishes, right, at the, at the wet market, they always ask the fishmonger, like, oh, how to cook this? And then you just take your fishmonger's word for it, but you, you yeah. never really try it. So I think this kind of experiential teaching would actually benefit customers a lot. Another session that I'm very, very keen to embark on is how to eat a whole fish using a fork. And this is for kids. <laughs> between Yeah, yeah. I totally want to keep this going because uh, this is something that a lot of parents are so paranoid about, like feeding their kids with whole fish. Why don't you teach the kids how to take out their own bone? Oh my god, I totally <laughs> agree with you. I feel like nowadays, I think our generation, a lot of my friends are very used to eating fillets rather than whole fish nowadays. I mean, after they get married, yeah. they move out and they start cooking meals for themselves. A lot of the times it's fillet rather than steaming a whole fish, for example. And I feel that it's, there's so much value in teaching our kids to eat whole fish. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so like the meaning of uh, whole, eating a whole fish is more than just like the fish alone. Like you also mentioned, it actually teach you about uh, knowing different parts of the fish, teaching you independence also. Uh. When you eat a fillet, you just cut and expect that it's totally boneless. Yeah. yeah and then, uh, but if you eat the whole fish, like the back of the bone, the spinal cord, um, yeah. the head, 
the the head area, the cheek, mm. the eye, and all these small little corner. Those people who love fish will love the whole head line and you'll dissect the cheek to the the neck to every single part of the fish head. So I'm sure you share you share the same consensus as me, because I mean we grew up in traditional family that like to steam the whole fish. So yeah. we, we do enjoy eating the whole thing. I think both of us want to continue this. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's a lot of um, family dynamics in the simple act of eating fish. Because, you know, like sometimes maybe the cheek is the best part or behind yeah. the head is the best part. Then your parents will leave that part for you. So in a culture where love is not expressed through like I love you or like hugs, I think those are very tangible forms of expressions of love. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Like, if you eat a whole chicken, the your mom will always keep the drumstick for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then she will take take the end of the the chicken wing. Yeah, yeah but that actually she's eating the best part, lah. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but also I feel like there's a lot of joy in kind of like gnawing on bones and like eating all these like little bits of pieces, getting all the meat out. You know, like how um when you eat flounder, right? The fins actually yeah. have this collagen kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In that. So it's like not just eating the choice parts of the fish, but enjoying the whole fish. Eating whole fish tastes a lot better than just fillet. That's why a lot of times, even um, like for young parents, we do recommend them to at least take the whole fish. Because sometimes, like for parents, they for convenience wise, they always want to take fillet. But then we do tell them that you're actually losing out the moisture when the bone is intact. Because when you steam a fish, the bone actually keep the moist, uh, the the flesh of the fish moist. A lot of young customers of yours, they always order fillets now, not whole fish. We do have parents that actually still buy the whole fish, and then we cut for them, mm. and they still keep the bone, make soup, and also the fish head they will cook for themselves. So, yeah, quite a number of uh different type of uh consumer. Mm. But how are you going to teach um, this class, you know, of uh, teaching children how to eat fish, whole fish? Basically, just steam a whole fish, even steam a kamong or sigma. So when we actually uh, conducted this uh, with my champs uh, at West Coast Plaza, so a lot of them have never tasted the whole uh, la, which is the sigma. And then the parents were asking me where to buy it. La. But I mean, this kind of fish is abundance. La. But nobody actually know that you can steam it. Uh. Like a lot of people always thought you need to fry it, you need to grill it. But mm. the very fresh one, when you steam it, it's very, very good. And a lot of kids actually wanted to eat that fish. I think I mentioned to you red mullet also, right? The ang nio. No, you never. Uh, maybe at the shop that they don't have. Uh, but in <laughs> for, yeah, yeah, it's not so common, but I love it, man. That one is the sweetness to the top level. It's a good oh. fish. Actually, there's a lot of uh this kind of uh good for good value fish yeah which is very good for steaming but a lot of people don't know that it's good for steaming yeah so these are the the very good options that is available mm. uh locally as well so i mean like if for food sampling class we can include all this although we don't uh widely carry in but then we can actually uh conduct this kind of mm. classes or sampling session to let them taste it so this kind of fish is best for the kids one because it's easy to remove, 
using a fork, you can take out everything and then you can pinpoint where is the bones. I find it so amusing that now, I mean, there's this need for this kind of class because, you know, when back, back when both of us were growing up, it's probably like, oh, you know, you kind of pick it up when you watch your parents eating, but eating habits have changed so much. That's why I feel that it has to do a lot with uh, businesses being responsible as well. It's not just about profits. Uh. At the end of the day, what do you value more? To me, I value a lot about tradition. To me, eating a whole fish is as important as like eating chicken rice, eating laksa. That's amazing. Okay, I want to ask you, why is it that even though you guys have a place in, I mean, it used to be in West Coast Plaza and then now it's going to be in Jalan Riang. Why do you feel yeah. like it's so important for you guys to hold on to your stall, your wet market stall in Tiong Bahru? We want to retain that, that uh, Quan Si. This is very important. That's why we are also using technology to try to retain this portion. Uh. Mm. We are able to retrieve the customer information, the previous transaction, remember them, talk to them and ask whether they like it or not, yeah, then we will like, recommend other things as well. Mm. So is this um, notion of having that human touch, like human connection, but how would that yeah. be different, say, if your store was in a shopping center, like, or, you know, in West Coast Plaza? I mean, you guys also offer that kind of a one-to-one communication and personal touch, right? Yeah. So, like, the whole mentality about a uh, consumer going into a market and a consumer going into a mall is very different. When you walk into a mall, uh, you expect it to be very clean, you expect it to be very prim and proper, you expect everything to be labelled, everything to be very well. Like when I walk through, I will know everything myself. So some of our customers that going to the mall, they just pick and go, pick and go. Yeah, and then uh, this interaction, uh, might not be there, uh, but in the market, when you walk in, uh, the rowdy feeling, the crowded feeling, the interaction, yeah, those are something that is not able to be replicated in a shopping mall. Uh. Your web market store is not like any other web market store, right? So, I mean, the main differences, I guess, would be the vacuum packing and also yeah. that you guys use like a POS and nets to accept payments, right? Yeah. Do you feel that a lot of people would have a lot of hesitation when you apply technology to something as traditional as a wet market store. Uh, maybe I can share a bit about how I actually started the Bill Crescent store. Like when I actually uh, wanted to conceive the idea to just put a glass in front of the table uh, and putting a roller shutter. Yeah, so my, my brother, uh, my brother is a fishmonger as well, as well as his friend. Both of them are very, very apprehensive towards me doing in such a traditional market because they said if you put a shutter you are stopping people from knowing that you are a fishmonger store that's one thing second thing if you put a glass up are they buying gold and jewelry instead of buying fish yeah then thirdly they still have to wait for you to take out the money from the point of sale system yeah and they're wondering like hey i just want my 50 cent coin change why am i waiting for so long mm. yeah so there's a lot of challenge that is being uh, put off. La, but it's that faith that you believe uh, change is necessary. If you don't do that, you will just be eliminated. La. So this is why the trade has slowly be, been like a sunset industry because technology are here to facilitate uh, process and also help us to make better decisions. 
So when I use a POS system, I do know that which are the items that are moving well. I do know which items to phase out. I do know that uh, I still have can have a bit of customization yet, a bit of standardization, how much to do that, the percentage I can manage because I have all this data with, with me. La. And then um, that was uh, five years ago. So look at what it is now. A lot of young people are trying to do this. A lot of people are trying to use POS. A lot of people are trying to go online. A lot of people are setting up a nicer shop with a bit more ideas of uh, going towards the education part. So actually, I feel that sometimes when you are not accepted, doesn't mean you won't be accepted. It's a matter of time and you need to hold on to that faith. La, because I truly believe that uh, this model can work because it happens in London, in Japan, in US. So why are we uh, not doing things different? I, I may be the first one to start, but people may innovate and create something better and we can learn from each other. That's something that is uh, good to embrace. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I feel that if you go around and you do some research, a lot of people are doing it, which is something that is good. The yeah. whole environment are changing. I, I think the very first encounter um that where i met you um that was the time when you told me that you had this whatsapp subscription group right where you yeah you kind of um inform people and like your loyal customers about the freshest fish of the day and letting them yeah. and like choke the fish right at that point i yeah. thought it was like super revolutionary i was like oh my god no one is doing this and then now covid struck and like everyone is adopting technology. <laughs> you, you can see, right? Like people are evasive to technology because they don't need to. They, the environment doesn't force them to. Yeah, but now uh, like fear and then they, oh, I shouldn't go out. What can I do? I only have one computer. Okay, let's try. Yeah, that is the time that you, a lot of the consumer wake up uh, and also find ways to adapt to the current environment. Uh, business will change, definitely. And how to embrace technology and not lose the soul. Uh, that is something that is important. Uh. I think that's the hardest part. I feel that you always grew up in the web market and you understand the soul of the web market. So while you're innovating, you still keep that, that heart uh, and that traditional life. I guess uh, web market must change also. Web market used to operate early in the morning, seven days a week, or six days a week at least. Uh, but how many of the current small families are both working adults? Yeah, so the weekday kind of uh, market is actually, in my own opinion, is actually not workable. Yeah. yeah, because it will be slowly phased out. And that's why like at our web market store, well, we do just keep it to a Saturday, Sunday operating hours. I feel that there should be some intervention to even try to do this in a certain way to make the operation operating hour different or maybe use the weekday uh, for doing some like uh, busking and some interesting uh, uh, food, food kind of uh, exhibition and all this kind of thing. So be a bit more innovative. Lah. Oh my god, this has been so amazing. Like, I think it's very inspiring what you're doing. So, thanks a lot for sharing with me. No problem, no problem. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.